please turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 11. While we were in Northern Ireland, I had the opportunity to help out in three different Reformed Presbyterian congregations. And then uh, when we got back to the States, I also helped out in uh, the Elkhart Reformed Presbyterian Church. So it was a real blessing to have fellowship with believers of like mind from uh, all over the place. I can definitely say I'm very glad to be back home. Uh, but um, it was a blessing to, uh, to minister in those different contexts. And while I was away, I, I um, preached mostly uh, different parables, so, so working back through a number of parables. And so uh, as I'm back here, I'm uh, just going to hit a couple of parables and then start into a new series through the book of Judges. Uh, most of us haven't had a series through the book of Judges we think of those as kind of, they have some good children's stories, but if you've ever read the book, you know that that's a challenging book for, for Christians, and um, I think it does speak to our age today. So we'll pick that up shortly. Uh, in the meantime, though, I'd have you look at Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at a little parable here that's uh, sandwiched between some teaching of Jesus on prayer. And so let's give attention to the word of God. I'll read the first 13 verses here of Luke chapter 11. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, which of you have a, have, shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs." So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And there will end the reading of God's word. May God bless his word to us as we consider it together this morning. Well, while we were in Northern Ireland, uh, we got a visit from one of Amy's cousins. And I would describe this man as an enthusiastic believer uh, the kind of man who seemed to be constantly uh, interacting with the Lord in a constant dialogue with God. So we'd come upon 
a beautiful scene and he would say out loud, thank you, Jesus, this is beautiful. You are such a good God to us. Uh, Or uh, then we were talking to some people in one of the churches there who told us about a woman in the congregation and a particular challenge she was having. Amy's cousin uh, says with these total strangers, let's pray. And so then begins to lead us all in prayer. Um, Even when uh, he lost something he couldn't find, seemed like a fairly minor issue, he's calling out to the Lord, uh, who then does help him uh, find it. And and it was fascinating to me because it, it was clear that his first impulse was to go to the Lord in prayer, uh, no matter what the circumstances. And as I think about that, I think in, in many of our lives, and I would say this is true for me, it's often the last impulse. So, so that if a situation that's a massive crisis comes upon us, well, okay, yes, I can see praying in that kind of a situation. But in, in just the ordinary uh, uh, wolf and, 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 and the life that we live, going around doing our thing, uh, we, we, we don't cry out to him first. We only do that when we've come to the end of our rope and we can't figure out uh, what else to do. And I wonder why that is. Why is it that we often expect so little out of prayer? And I would guess uh, some of you here aren't praying very regularly at all. And uh, why is it that we don't uh, go to the Lord as we should? And I think no matter who we are, we would admit that we don't value prayer as highly as we should, nor do we engage in it uh, as often as we ought to. And this, uh, this would apply to us whether we are the youngest uh, children here or the oldest adult. So this uh, parable that Jesus tells us is designed to encourage you and to encourage me to pray. And not only to pray, but as our main point is this morning, to pray boldly, knowing that God has promised to answer the prayers of his children offered through Jesus Christ. It's a call to pray boldly and in confidence, knowing that God answers the prayers of his children. And if you children are here wanting to draw a picture for me today, and as you work through that outline, uh, you could draw a picture of a neighbor coming in the middle of the night and knocking on the door, uh, and there's the family inside. And listen for what this teaches us about prayer. And it looks like we don't have any children visiting with us. I wanted to make sure if any children were visiting that you knew if you fill out your outline and then go take it uh, to Mrs. Burton, you can get a piece of candy after the service. And I suppose if one of the adults did this, Mrs. Burton is the kind of person that would also give you a piece of candy, uh, but it's mostly designed for the children. So we hope you will do that. Well, the first thing I want you to notice as we start looking at the passage is that you and I really do need to pray. We really do need to pray. This whole little section is about prayer. The first four verses are sort of a summary of the Lord's Prayer. And if you were reading along in a different translation, you'll notice that, that there's, there's some disagreement about the ancient text there. So there were some lines that were in the translation I read that may not be if you have the ESV. But it's sort of a scaled-down version of the Lord's Prayer. And then we have the parable in verses 5 to 8 about prayer. And then in verses 9 to 13, Jesus giving some direct instruction about prayer. And it's always good to remember when we're interpreting parables that we don't press every detail, right? That the parable is meant to teach us something by using word pictures to do it. 
So we're not here to, uh, to, to come to the conclusion that God is like a cranky neighbor or that God is asleep and we need to really bang on the door hard to wake him up. These kinds of things are not in view. That's not what we're to learn. But we are to be encouraged to pray. And the first thing the parable does in terms of encouraging us is to remind us that we are needy people. And so we need to pray. We all face things that we cannot handle on our own. We have to do things that we cannot do on our own. We need outside help. And this is what the parable is explaining here, beginning at verse 5. Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, in our situation, that seems very strange. Why is this person showing up in the middle of the night, and why do you have to go wake up a neighbor to get food. Amy and I had once, uh, some years ago, a very uh, unusual incident happened to us. Uh, a young man who'd visited the church just a couple of times uh, called us at about 10 at night and said, hey, uh, I've had a fight with my roommate and the police have come and told me I need to find another place to sleep tonight. Can I come sleep at your house? So uh, I think we had maybe one or two children at that point. We did not know this guy very well at all, but in 20 minutes, he was in our house and on our couch. And, uh, and that's very unusual. This describes a, a situation where a person's showing up uh, in the middle of the night, no warning at all, and expects hospitality. And, and this would not have been that uncommon in their situation because a lot of times people traveled at night. It's a desert climate, so they would travel late to avoid the weather. And uh, when they showed up, you would be expected to provide hospitality. Now, we might just say, well, of course, um, can't you just go into the fridge uh, or order something online and have it delivered? You, you know, we live in a college town, so we can get those things anytime we want. And they couldn't. And oftentimes, whatever had been prepared was prepared for that day. And it might get all used that day. And so uh, once the food had been eaten, the bread would be baked again for the next day, and uh, there's not a lot left over, and this person comes and you don't have anything to put before him. But in those Eastern cultures, it would have been expected. Hospitality was expected. Everyone was dependent on um, the, uh, the hospitality of others, especially when they traveled. There were no hotels or the, like we understand them to be. And so you'd have to have somebody who would show you hospitality and take you in. So the point here is that the host has uh, nothing to offer his guest and he's in a dilemma because if he can't offer hospitality, this is going to, in a sense, bring shame upon him and upon his family. And so it's a reminder that we are needy. We have situations we cannot solve without outside help. Now, oftentimes we think these are sort of rare but Jesus, in this, uh, this uh, Lord's Prayer that he gives here in verse 3, reminds us, we pray, give us our daily bread, day by day. The point is that we're always in need. The problem is we convince ourselves that we are not completely and utterly dependent on God. And then God will allow something into your life to remind you. Some health crisis some relational crisis, some problem with a job, struggles with uh, people in your family, 
And then you'll remember, ah, yes, I can't do it all. There are things that are outside of my control I need help on. And when God does that to you, it's actually a mercy to remind you that you are dependent on God every moment of every day. Every breath you take, your heart beating, you drive in the car, um, you, you have your job, you have your opportunities. All that you have is a gift from God. And so prayer is a reminder that we are needy. We need to pray. And this is what Jesus is teaching you. Secondly, the parable also teaches that there are many obstacles to praying like you should. We need to pray. We don't always pray like we should. And there's a problem here for Uh, the person who receives the traveler at midnight. He's got to go and get help from his friend. Verse 7 puts it this way. The friend will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is shut and my children are with me in bed. So this we have to understand. The way that a house was usually a one-room affair in those days. And so at night... When everybody came in, there might even be animals in there in the bottom part of the house. The doors are closed. uh, The mats are unrolled. Everybody's out on the floor. There's no way uh, one person can get up without waking up everybody. And that could include uh, the baby who's finally gone to sleep. So uh, coming and knocking loudly on the door in the middle of the night uh, was going to cause serious disruption uh, to your neighbor. And of course, the, the, the host knows that uh, whoever his traveling guest is, that person's going to move on, but he has to live with his neighbor. And so if he wakes him up in the middle of the night and causes this disruption, uh, he's going to have to live with that. So there's a, the, the parable presents an obstacle to asking. There's a serious obstacle here. And of course, the same is true for you and for me in terms of our praying to God. There are many obstacles that we face. You may doubt God's willingness to answer you. You may feel like uh, whatever this thing is that you consider praying for is is too trivial for God. Uh, I had some elderly relatives who told me one time, yeah, we never pray about money. That's just way too crass to bother God with money. I'm thinking, um, I'm not sure how they got that idea, but you know, this kind of thinking can creep into our lives. Well, that's not, that area of my life doesn't merit prayer. Perhaps you have prayed to the Lord and felt like God did not answer your prayer, so you lack confidence, and that's a reason why you're reluctant to pray as you should. Frankly, some of us are lazy, and uh, I, I can put myself down in this category. Prayer is work. And we don't pray as we ought to sometimes because we're simply not disciplined or we tell ourselves we're too busy. Perhaps we're too proud to pray. Uh, We think that we've sorted all these things out ourselves. And we only would come to God if there was something that was really a crisis, but everything else we can handle on our own. Commentator J.C. Ryle, speaking about this, said, a man's state and this is on the back of your outline, a man's state before God may always be measured by his prayers. Whenever we begin to feel careless about our private prayers, we may depend upon it. There's something very wrong in the condition 
of our souls. And Ryle's saying that our prayer life really is a barometer of our spiritual health. It's an indicator of how we're living in terms of being people relying on the Lord. But while all those things may be barriers, the greatest barrier, the greatest obstacle to praying that you and I face is our sin. It is our sin. Look at these cross-references I put in your outline. John 9, verse 31. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. That our sin is an obstacle. That's an interesting idea. We sort of feel like anyone at any time who calls out to God has a right for God to answer him. And yet the Bible seems to suggest that uh, something more is needed. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. And we might be saying, oh, well, thank the Lord, I'm righteous and not wicked, except the Bible says there's no one righteous, that by nature we aren't inclined to love God and to worship him and to serve him. And so our, our sin creates an impediment for our prayers and uh, it still continues to challenge us. Even as believers, our sin can cause a break in our fellowship with the Lord. But thirdly, we see here that God overcomes these obstacles by making you one of his children through Jesus Christ. And that's what's so important to see is that Jesus, as he talks about prayer, is talking about the interaction of children with their father. This is how he starts the prayer in verse 2. Our father in heaven. And then in verses 9 to 13, he talks about the relationship of a father to a child. And understand now, the Bible never teaches sort of what we would call the universal fatherhood of man. That, that is that, oh, well, God's the father of all of us. We all call out to God as our father. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Yes, God is the creator of all people. But people are not naturally the children of God. They become the children of God as their sins are taken and put, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus' righteousness is put on to us And now in the righteousness of Christ, we are brought into the family. We become children of God as we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As John 1 verses 12 and 13 say, As many as received him, that is the Lord Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We become children of God as we put our faith in Christ. And we remind ourselves that faith is not something we produce. Uh, Faith is an expression of our emptiness. Faith is our empty hand and God putting something in it. And this is one of the things that's so radical about Christianity is that God is knowable as Father and, and not as a distant, harsh unconnected father but as a loving engaged father as the bible says in another place we can call him abba daddy he has a relationship with us and so this is the the dynamic of this parable it is using uh, a, a sort of 
what's called a light and heavy motif, a how much more motif. The idea is if the sleeping neighbor who has all these issues getting up, if that sleeping neighbor is going to get up and help you, how much more your father in heaven who loves you is going to get up and to help you. Now, children, you, um, your parents ever send you next door to get like a cup of sugar or a cup of flour or something like that? Does it, people still do that anymore where we find we're missing an egg we need for our recipe and we call the neighbor and we send someone down and we just borrow one egg or a cup of flour. That, that's the kind of thing that neighbors would do for each other. And, I, and I, I'm sure in different ways you have interactions with your neighbors. You may even go over and play with the neighbor children. And I would guess on occasion, maybe even the neighbors, they have you over for lunch if they have children. And, and that's very nice. But you can see how it might become a problem if every evening you showed up at dinner time uh, expecting to be fed. And then, you know, it's when it, the fall comes and the winter comes, and uh, you come over to the neighbors, you say, hey, I need a new winter coat. Do you guys have a coat over here for me? And at some point, as nice as your neighbors are, they're going to say, all right, that's enough. Uh, you're, you're wonderful neighbors, but you're not our kids. Uh, that's not our responsibility. And so the, the parable reminds us, of course, we can ask for things from our parents that we really can't ask from our neighbors. Uh, one of my daughters who's living in Pennsylvania had me in a parking lot last week selling uh, her old bass guitar, of all things, to this uh, guy that uh, travels around with the Grateful Dead group or something like that. So not what, I, you know, not what I would have been doing, but you can ask your parents to do things for you that uh, you can't ask your neighbor. And, and this is exactly what the parable is reminding you. You have a father in heaven if you've come to faith through Jesus Christ. And you can ask your father in heaven for whatever it is you need. Because Jesus makes you a child of God. He is your father. And he wants you to pray to him. God overcomes the obstacles. He makes you his child. But fourthly then, this reminds us, he does answer the prayers of his children coming to him through Jesus. This is verses 9 and following. Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be open to you. God is a father and he wants to bless you. One thing I know beyond the shadow of a doubt is that my parents will do anything they can for their children. So my 82-year-old mom was up in Michigan helping one of my brothers pack up his house to move. 82 years old. And, and I'm quite sure that's true of the parents here in this room. You know that your parents will do anything for their children to help them. Now, are there some bad parents? You could, you could be saying, well, you don't know what my old man was like, right? There are exceptions, of course. 
But we understand that in a normal, healthy family, the parents are, stand prepared to do anything they can for their children. And, and this is the image that God is trying to remind you of. God's stance toward you as his children is to bless you and to do what is good for you. Now, does this mean that uh, everything we want, we just ask for it in prayer and God gives it to us? Well, of course not. The Bible qualifies greatly. John 16, 23, most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. We, we have to ask through the Lord Jesus, coming uh, through Jesus as our intercessor. He is the one who takes our prayers before the Lord. And we're also told that we have to come praying according to God's will. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So we're praying for things that are good, for things that are true, for things that are beautiful, for things that are right according to the will of God. James 4, verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure. So this suggests that the, having the proper motive for what we're asking. Uh, we're not coming before God just asking for things for ourselves to make our lives easier, but for things that allow us to serve him better. Mark eleven twenty four. therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. And you will have them. This is the idea that we pray in faith. We come praying, expecting that God does hear us. And he does answer us according to his will. Notice that he, he says specifically in verse 8 at the end of this parable. Right, Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And the Bible is very clear. God often gives us far more than we need. But this is the idea that God provides for what we need. And verse 13 reminds us that this is not just for physical things. Right? He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That The Lord gives spiritual gifts, and by far those are the most important. Again, quoting from J.C. Ryle, he says, the Holy Spirit is beyond doubt the greatest gift, which God can bestow upon man. Having this gift, we have all things, life, light, hope, and heaven. And if God will give the Holy Spirit, right, then he will certainly give whatever else might be needed because that is by far the greatest gift. Now, now as a father, sometimes when my children came and asked something, I said no. My older children don't think I say no very much anymore now that I'm on to the fourth child, but I tell them that's just because they were rotten and she's great. <laughs> but you, have, you do say no at times. You do say no. And, and why is that? Well, because you're trying to do the best you can as a father to do what helps, what's, what's needful, what's good for the child. So one weekend, can I go spend the night? No, you can't. Another, another weekend, another circumstance, maybe the answer is yes. 
And, and I know as a human father, we don't always get it right. But I would like to get it right. My goal is to get it right. I'm trying to do what's best for my children. And I know that's what you fathers are doing as well. The thing about God is that he always gets it right. He knows you perfectly. He knows what is, in fact, good for you and needful and what's not. It's one of the hardest lessons for us to learn. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers like we want him to. Paul prayed three times that this thorn in the flesh, this physical ailment that he had would be removed. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. I don't expect we'll understand how that all works out until we get to heaven, but we have to trust our heavenly father knows us perfectly well. I I know I've told some of you this story about one of um, the young men who was at the high school that Amy and I went to and and met, uh, where we met. And this young man was an heir to the Frito-Lay fortune. His name was uh, Ward Lay III. And and Ward Lay got a wonderful Mercedes-Benz convertible sports car for his graduation present from, I think it was his grandmother, actually. Well, that's what he wanted. That's what he asked for, a beautiful car. If you're in the Lay family, you can do that. But he died in that car about a month after he got it. Driving too fast, going off the road, and hitting a tree. An 18-year-old kid. Sometimes what we want isn't ultimately what's best for us. And we need to be thankful that we have a God in heaven who knows what gifts are good for us and what we need and right when we need it. Every time you come to the Lord in prayer, you're coming to a perfect father, a perfect father who wants to bless you, who's committed to doing what's best for you, but who knows exactly what's needed. He will always answer your prayers as you come to him through Jesus. So finally, the the parable encourages you to pray boldly through Jesus in confidence that your heavenly father hears you. Now, many times when we read this parable, we think it's about persistence, about just not giving up in prayer. And that's partly because of the way this unusual word is translated in verse 8. Yet because of his persistence, my translation says, He will rise and give him as many as he needs. Well, Luke 18 has a parable about persistent prayer. It's the lady who won't give up bothering the judge to get righteousness for her cause. This one's not really about persistence. The problem is that word that's translated persistence in my translation, it's only used one time in the entire Bible right here. And so if you look at different translations, it's translated differently Uh, The the King James Version following Tyndale uh, translates it importunity, uh, which is a big word. I don't even know what it means. Looking it up, it says urgent, unceasing 
troublesome demands. Uh, The New American Standard and the New King James say persistence. The NIV says boldness. The ESV, probably closer, the closest on these, says impudence. It, it, It implies sort of a shamelessness. The original word is a negative word whenever it's used outside the Bible. It's sort of like audacity. I think of it, somebody told me a story of some men that went to our seminary some years back, and a bunch of, you know, bachelor guys at the seminary, and there was a young woman uh, who was very accomplished who went there to take some classes. And uh, this woman was like in a, in a high league, if you want to, and all these uh, pastors-to-be were terrified to ask her out. Because, like, they all felt like this woman was in a a league that they were not in. But one guy, one of the guys, has the audacity to ask her out, despite all these obstacles. And he ends up marrying her. And they're still married today. This is kind of what what this is getting at. Having this kind of outrageous confidence and expectation that, that allows you to go before the Lord and make this request confidently and boldly. And you see what Jesus is doing. He's telling them how to pray in the first four verses. And they may be saying, yes, but will God hear us? And he's saying, yeah, he'll hear you. Ask. Go ahead and ask. Just like if if this neighbor is going to get up and help you, when push comes to shove, because you know your neighbor is going to do the right thing, how much more is God, the God of the universe, your heavenly father, the one who's sent his son to die for you, how much more is he going to hear you and respond to you? God will hear your prayers, so you should pray boldly. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 help us understand a little bit of how this work works. It says, be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, things happen when we pray. God changes us. See, this this promises peace. As we give this over to God, we can have peace in our hearts, trusting that he hears us and knows us. And God changes the people around us as well. And this is a great reminder that prayer should be our first impulse and not our last resort. As commentator David Winham says, the sleeping father responds because of his neighbor's nerve and audacity in asking. The point is quite simply that as the man who dared to ask his friend got his request, so those who through prayer ask, seek, and knock will be heard by God. What an encouragement for us. When Amy and I came to town 30 years ago, there was a small group of prayer warriors in this church praying that God would revive the church and bring new families. I taught Sunday school when there was one child in the whole age group. We didn't have many children in those days. 
And that could have seemed like an audacious thing to pray for. And they prayed faithfully. And many of those people did not live to see the answers to their prayers. But those prayers were heard. And some of those people are still praying faithfully, meeting every Wednesday at this church building. God heard those prayers. God hears our prayers. And he doesn't do it for our sakes. He does it for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true son. Jesus was in communion with his heavenly father perfectly. Jesus asked boldly and audaciously, and God heard. We're not confident like we should be. We don't even ask sometimes when we should. Jesus asked confidently, was always bold in his prayer with the Lord for us. And because Jesus makes you a child of the family, he makes it so that you can ask God boldly and confidently. That's what this parable is challenging you to do. Pray boldly because Jesus has made you a child of your Father in heaven and he wants to bless you. May he help us apply these truths. Let's pray and ask for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we confess that all too often we treat prayer like a last resort or like just a duty we have to do, so we do it almost unthinkingly at times. We pray that you would forgive us. Help us to hear what your word says. Lord, that you are our Father in heaven and that you want us to come to you. It's a way for us to express our need, our dependence, that you are joyfully prepared to hear and answer our prayers according to your wisdom. Lord, help us especially when it seems like our prayers are not being answered. We confess it's so hard for us sometimes when it seems like your prayers, our prayers aren't being answered. Help us to remember you are our Father in heaven. You love us and you know perfectly what is needed at what time for us and for everyone else around us. Lord, help us to learn to pray boldly and with confidence as we should. And we pray, Lord God, that you would be pleased to use our prayers as you accomplish your great purposes in this world. And we pray these things in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And now we'll respond back to the Lord in song, singing from his word. We turn to Psalm 103. We'll sing selection B. Bless the Lord my soul, my whole heart, ever bless his holy name. And as we think about uh, blessing God's name because God has been so good to us, the final stanza we sing here uh, speaks about him uh, forgiving our sins for far as the east is from the west is distance. He's put away our sin. Like the pity of a father has the Lord's compassion 
been. He loves us as his children. He shows us that compassion, and that's why we can go to him at all times. Let's stand and sing our praise to him.